Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy folks. Welcome to another podcast episode. This is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. God's grace and peace be unto you. Glad you are here with me today. Uh, Today is going to be, I guess, another story time. Um, Storytelling, stories... Uh, really important when it comes to uh, the development of the human mind and also um, in the development, in our case, uh, of the Christian faith. You know, the Word of God tells us in Daniel chapter 11, those that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And it was interesting, brothers and sisters, because I was just laying on my bed the other night and, you know, there are certain times where, you know, memories just come back to me and just flood my mind uh, where God, you know, just powerfully uh, showed himself strong and intervened and interposed and did, you know, some miraculous things in our midst as we have served God in this battle you know, for the souls of men, the lives of children, and the future of our nation. And so, yeah, the other day, I just, uh, it just kind of came roaring back. And uh, today, I I just want to share a testimony about a federal marshal that we had the privilege of leading to the Lord. And so this was back... Uh, in the summer of mercy, this was 1991, Wichita, Kansas, and I wish to goodness we would have chronicled that we would have had a scribe uh, that was there uh, for this one-week national event with Operation Rescue National actually turned into a two-and-a-half-month siege and revival. I mean, brothers and sisters, uh, the stories that can be told, um, the miracles uh, that were performed, I mean, literally, like Old Testament, New Testament caliber caliber miracles uh, was happening in our midst. And so, excuse me, I want to bring us to at least uh, one a segment of that two two and a half months uh we were there uh in wichita and we pretty much had it shut up like jericho there was nobody going in nobody going out of the death camps there were actually four death camps operating in wichita kansas when the saints came marching in and uh we we, we had a, a good and decent crowd and uh, we pretty much uh, had the death camps, all four of them, shut down for 11 days. 
and uh, we literally had squads of saints uh, covering the death camp both day and night. We were literally on shifts, and uh, as we were just storming uh, the gates of hell. So after 11 days, uh, the authorities decided, well, it's time to open up. And um, and so there was this huge uh, confrontation uh between uh, the police uh, and the saints of the Lord. And so uh, they decided, okay, uh, enough's enough. We're going to open these death camps. And so, you know, we had people stationed at Central Avenue, people stationed at uh, uh, George Tiller's infamous, notorious death camp um, and at the other death camps, and they were so determined to open up that they literally charged us with horses and sprayed us with uh, mace and, you know, did all kinds of things. And uh, it was pretty amazing. The saints would not budge. They wouldn't move. And in the case of uh, George Tiller's place, uh, this was a, a very surreal uh, situation uh, because when they decided to open up, uh, we literally had cars about three to three and a half blocks long lined up on the side street trying to get into Tiller's death camp. I mean, it was incredible. And so we were at uh, Tiller's gates. We were blocking entrance. And uh, by that time, you know, they had called in the the FBI, they had called in the federal marshals, and they were uh, working in conjunction with the local Wichita police and uh, things of that nature. And so, you know, here we are, we're, we're, we're blocking the gate. Um, the police are beginning to arrest us. And here we are looking down the street at literally blocks and blocks of cars of pregnant women, some in a second and third trimester, uh, you know, in pregnancy. Um, and obviously we, we were in a desperate place. And, um, and so they're, you know, starting to haul us away and a couple of miraculous things happened at this point brothers and sisters i believe it was randall terry he he uh, got on the megaphone and he just started praying god you know open up the heavens you know send rain you know rend the heavens come down send rain and we all kind of took up that chorus in prayer as we were beseeching god now you got to picture this brothers and sisters because when he said that prayer uh, it was about 106 degrees in Wichita, Kansas. There was not a cloud in the sky. And within 20 minutes of that prayer, the sky went from blue to black and the degrees dropped, um, it, like an incredible drop of degree in the weather. Like it went like from 106 to somewhere like in the 70s. I mean, that dramatic of a drop of degrees in Wichita. And then sure enough, boom, <clears throat> you know, the sky, skies open up. There's lightning bolts 
And as soon as the lightning bolts start happening, you know, the police are running to their buses to find safety. The pro aborts are scattered. They're running away. And of course, the crazy saints are at the, literally at iron bars and we're just praising and dancing and leaping and, and praising God. You know, like people said, like I, I was leaping so high, like I was like, you know, doing Michael Jordan stuff, you know, Air, Air Thomas, you know. Because we we just you know saw the miraculous answer to prayer and uh, and boy, once God uh, opened the heavens, it poured for twenty four hours straight, and this was another miracle. This was the first and only time my first wife Liz uh, had done a rescue. And she was pregnant with our daughter, Charity, who's since gone on to be with the Lord. But here's a pregnant woman, okay, who stood, and she was probably in her second trimester going into the third, who stood at those gates for 24 hours and did not go to the bathroom, a pregnant woman. So, you know, take that as you might, but that's pretty incredible uh, clearly, the grace of the Lord uh, was upon us. And so after the 24 hours um, where, you know, the the feds start coming in and um, they're, like I said, so determined to open these gates of hell to devour these kids. And uh, we witnessed another like dramatic uh, intervention from the Lord. I mean, there were like business women, there were construction workers, there were people just on their way to work that were literally apprehended by the Spirit of God. They were compelled just to pull over, park, you know, and they were walking up to us, you know, and there was like tears in their eyes and they go, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know I got to be here. What do you want me to do? And we would tell them, go, go sit over there at that gate. <clears throat> and they would. And then they would be arrested all the way uh, to jail. Now, apparently that, you know, that was not on their list, you know, the you know, to-do list, right? Oh, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to, you know, go to work. And oh, by the way, I'm just going to stop over here uh, and get arrested and go to jail. Uh, but that's the kind of miraculous things that God was doing. He was, he was literally giving field commissions. He was recruiting soldiers uh, into this battle. And so <clears throat> we got about um, like two, two rows thin. And uh, it was also at this time that other saints were, were coming from all over America, like, they're, like around the 10th or 11th day uh, word started getting out and literally Christians started coming in, uh, at, you know, with the busloads, like busloads of Christians coming in, pouring into the city because they recognized, uh, God was doing a great work, uh, in Wichita, Kansas. And so, so here you got, um, you know, we're about two rows thin, um, and the feds are, you know, we're near the gate, and then there's the feds, and then there's the other saints, you know, on the sidewalk across the street. And so the saints are trying to get to the gate, 
to reinforce it and block it. And uh, of course, the feds are determined that's not going to happen. And so, like, what do you do, right? And so we, you know, we wanted, you know, we let the police know and 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 the feds know, you know, we're 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 not violent people. We're we're just exercising the doctrine of interposition. We're putting ourselves uh, between the victim, that preborn child, and those that intend on harming them. And so to let them know we weren't violent, uh, we just didn't run them over. We didn't like just storm the gates and push them aside or anything like that. But what we did do is we got on our hands and knees and we just began to, to crawl uh, to the gates. And it was almost like we were playing tag, right? You know, just playing tag. And, and so we would, we would scooch and they would touch us and we'd stop. And then as they touched us, other people's, you know, crawled and they touched them and then we crawled and and it took a little while, but we all got to the gates uh, to block entrance. And um, during that process, this is where this story of the salvation of the federal marshal begins. Um, I began to notice that there, there was one one federal marshal and he was doing this. <clears throat> And he was, you know, touching the people, getting them to stop and then scrambling to try to stop other people uh, from getting to the gate. And he, he must have did it about three or four or five times, something like that. And then finally, he just stood up and uh, he, he couldn't do it anymore. And we, we watched him. He, he, he went over uh, to his superior officer and we found out later um, he he had confessed to his superior officer, I, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. Um, I need you uh, to reassign me, to release me uh, from this duty assignment. And um, the superior officer uh, did release him. And so <clears throat> this went on. And, uh, and of course, like I was saying, we, we had squads, you know, set up you know, um, 24-7, around the clock, you know, to make sure that uh, no children were harmed under our watch. And um, we were at one of the death camps, and I was there. Uh, It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and here comes this federal marshal. And he's he's clearly, like, something serious is going down in his life like like something truly impacted him when he was trying to uh, stop the saints from rescuing these babies who are made in the image of God and he literally walks up to us and there was just a few of us there's maybe like 10 or 12 people there he walks up to us and this is his exact words who is your God and what must I do to be saved? So this wasn't like straight out of Compton. This was like straight out of the book of Acts. Of course, we're amazed. You know, we recognize the spirit of the living God is moving upon this federal marshal. And he is touched. He is touched in his heart. He is convicted, 
and the Lord sends them right to us, and we had the glorious privilege of leading this federal marshal to the Lord. I mean, it was awesome, brothers and sisters, to say the least. Well, a few days later, you know, the feds are stepping up their intervention against us. And, um, and I remember one of the feds uh, personally came to me and he, he had uh, um, some kind of injunction against me. I don't, not sure what it was all about, but he literally put it against my chest and slammed it into my chest. And he said, uh, when you're arrested, um, you're, you're, you're going to be like, like, like there's going to be like, like federal charges against me. And, um, and basically he said, you're going to go to jail and the, the judge will get to you when he wants to. And I said, well, what about my right to a, you know, a speedy trial? He says, well, you know, you take that ever, any, however you want to take it, but that's the way it's going to be. Um, so anyway, uh, it was shortly after that I was arrested along with a lot of the saints and they put us in solitary confinement for like 72 hours. And there's a whole lot of stories that go into that, brothers and sisters. I mean, when we first went in, they took our Bibles away from us. And they said they didn't want any singing, you know, they didn't want any singing, right? And I'm, I like, I, you know, I was, I just, you know, spoke up. I mean, like, you know, you know, can you stop the sun from, from rising? Can you stop the sun from setting? You know, uh, if you can do that, you can stop us from singing and worshiping and praising the Lord, you know. But I do remember, like, <clears throat> being in my cell and without a Bible. And, and I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, just for about three days, I got to taste what it was like for maybe saints around the world that just have scraps of scripture or no scripture at all. Um, boy, I just, it was like a newfound um, love for the Bible and just, you know, how truly valuable the word of God was. It's like you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? And we're kind of familiar with the scriptures, but I'm telling you, when it was taken from me, oh my, I mean, it it hurt my heart. I really did. And um, another humorous thing happened in that cell. Um, it was a, this, this prison was renovated um, and I would say it's one of the, one of the prisons that we had been through that, um, where the inmates were not running the asylum, like the police still had a, a very good, uh, control over that prison system. And it was all freshly painted and renovated. And so here I am in solitary confinement and, uh, I look up, I'm out, I got out, and by this time, I was so wasted. I mean, we were going 24-7 for like almost two weeks, and so I, I was pretty tired, and uh, it was almost like a break, you know. And uh, I remember I had my uh, head on my uh, arms at a desk, and 
had like a little desk, a cot, and a toilet, right? And uh, I look up, and uh, I see the only thing written, like the only thing written on the walls, because it was so freshly painted, was the initials R-T. And I remember praying to the Lord, are, are you sure that's, this is not for Randall Terry? Um, and uh, no, this is for Rusty Thomas. And uh, I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that was the Lord's way of letting me know that he was there with me uh, in that cell. Um, it was a very precious moment uh, with the Lord. And uh, so anyway, uh, when we first got into the prison, you know, they were believing all the press, you know what I mean? And that we were like domestic terrorists and hate mongers and all this kind of stuff. So after a couple of days, they were blown away because we were acting in a Christian way, you know, um, and it, it, it was like a subtle change, but they're, they're like, first they were teach you know, treating us very roughly, like yelling at us, pushing us around, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And when we didn't respond insult for insult or, you know, anger for anger, uh, they began to like, okay, this is not adding up. Like <laughs> what the news is saying about these people and the actual behavior of this people. And the Lord really began to soften the police like towards us. And it was during, and I, you know, I was in jail there for two weeks and had the privilege, brothers and sisters, of leading uh, four prison guards to the Lord. I mean, it was awesome. And one of them, the one, well, like we had like about 300 uh, of our guys uh, together uh, in this prison. And so in this one case where we led this prison guard to the Lord, and I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you ain't lived, right, until you have 300 men like surrounding a prison guard, laying hands on him, and he's allowing us to do this, praying for him, and then just bust out in the great hymn, Amazing Grace. So picture like 300 men at the top of their lungs singing Amazing Grace, and it is just reverberating throughout the prison. Now remember, we ain't supposed to be singing, right? But when the Lord intervenes and gloriously, you know, saves this prison guard, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, Man, the love of God in our hearts, you know, just exploded, right? And it was just just awesome, brothers and sisters. So, you know, we there's so many other, like, stories and happenings that took place uh, in Wichita, Kansas. But one of the things that I, I wanted to do by, by sharing uh, this testimony, because, you know, a lot of times when we serve the Lord, right, um, I don't know how God deals with you in your walk with God and your service to God, but he kind of leads and directs, you know, through two primary ways, you know, through the truth of Scripture and that the Bible says, you know, to be led by his spirit. 
And so a lot of times, you know, God will speak to me through the scriptures and then he will confirm it by his Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit will lead and guide me to do something and then he'll confirm it by his scripture. So again, you know, when when the Lord was dealing with this federal marshal and I can get I don't you know, I, I don't know the federal marshal's background. I don't know if he ever read the book of Acts. I don't know if he was conscious of that, but I will tell you uh, when, you know, the rubber met the road, so to speak, you know, out of his mouth, right? You know, out of his mouth, what must I do to be saved? And of course, you know, we took him, you know, to the scriptures and we ministered to him, you know, from the book of Acts you know, the, in chapter two, right? So you, you, you know the, the basic narrative there, right? It's the day of Pentecost. And, uh, you know, the Lord told uh, the apostles and the believers and the saints to be in that upper room, you know, get in one accord and pray and, and seek him, that he was going to send the promise of the Father, that he was going to go away and he was going to send another comforter that he was going to send, the Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit. And of course, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, today is the glorious day. And Jesus fulfills his promise. He, he sends the Holy Spirit. He pours it out upon them. And of course, they, they're filled with the Holy Spirit tongues of fire, and they begin to speak uh, the great and glorious things of God uh, in the known tongues of different uh, languages, because there was all kinds of different nations and tribes and kindred represented in Jerusalem at that time. They came, you know, for the Feast of Pentecost, and so God is moving in and through his people, and they're speaking uh, in, in known tongues and languages. And, of course, the people are just stirred, like, what meaneth this, right? This is awesome, right? And then so, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, they're probably uh, drunk, right? <laughs> they're drunk. Well, they're drunk, but they're not drunk as you suppose, because it's only, you know, uh, in the morning hours. OK. And um, and of course, once it creates this uh, no small stir and people are gathered, you know, that's when Peter launches, you know, in, in the great Pentecost message. Right. And so you have Peter who's connecting the dots, right? He, he's putting together all the messianic predictions and promises, right, uh, about the, you know, the coming of the Messiah and the anointed one, the Christ. And, um, and of course, you know, God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. So you got the truth of Scripture combined with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, one of the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So this is going down, right? 
This is powerful stuff taking place, right? And uh, and as a result, uh, and I and I do want to add this too, brothers and sisters, especially when it comes um, um, to the situation where we're fighting against the evil of abortion, because you know there were three thousand souls that were birthed into the kingdom and added to the church when Peter gives this Pentecost message. And and I've always believed it was because of it was the the truth of the Old Testament scriptures and the promises and the predictions coupled with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, God did that miraculous thing in the hearts of 3,000 people, right, which is awesome. But one of the things, when I got involved uh, in the abolition of abortion, you know, one of the doctrines that we were hammering throughout America was the doctrine of blood guiltiness. And it was, it's so amazing, you know, like once God begins to reveal some things, you know, in this case, the doctrine of blood guilt, the shedding of innocent blood, it's amazing. Like you could study the scriptures and, and not see it, but then when God illuminates, boy, you see it everywhere. And, and that was true also when it came to um, the book of Acts starting in Pentecost, right? Because one of the main uh, things that the authorities were struggling with was not just that they were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus, right? And, and, and you know, filling uh, Jerusalem with this strange doctrine. But he all, they also said, you're, you're intending to bring this man's blood upon us. And, of course, the Jewish people understood how serious that was, because if they were consenting to putting an innocent man to death, uh, they were guilty uh, of blood guiltiness. And, and so when you look at the early uh, messages, especially from Peter in the book of Acts, like he is hammering hard the doctrine of blood guilt. You know, you, 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 you killed the just one, right? You uh, crucified the Lord of glory. Um, and, and so you got to understand this, this uh, initial audience at this time, you know, they're mainly Jewish people and they are very much aware of the doctrine of blood guilt. So I, I actually think, you know, as you put that all together, there were three, um, you know, manifestations, events taking place that birthed you know, these 3,000 souls uh, into the kingdom and added them to the church of the living God. A, it was the word, it was the scriptures, it was the promises. B, the Holy Spirit was being poured out. They were surely being convicted. But you also uh, cannot uh, lessen uh, the uh, importance of the doctrine of blood guilt because, with like, so it says, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the scriptures, the end part of this. So this is Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Uh, this is uh, Peter, like, closing out the Pentecost message. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, right? You, you shed the blood of the just one, and he says that. Uh, throughout these early messages in the book of Acts. The one you crucified, he is now both Lord and Christ. Now watch this. 
Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, okay? And again, I, I really believe it was the doctrine of blood guiltiness along with the scriptures, along with the convicting power that cut these people to the heart. They knew they were in trouble with the Almighty. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, how do we escape? Yeah, we get it. We see it now. We're guilty. We were consenting. Uh, you know, we, we asked for Barabbas and we condemned Jesus to death. And now we get it. He was innocent. And so we did. We, we did shed the blood of the just one. And so obviously, brothers and sisters, God used the combination of those things to bring serious conviction upon the men, women, and children that were gathered there. And so they're asking, you know, what shall we do? And I think other translations say, what shall we do to be saved? And that is, again, exactly what the federal marshal said when he was being convicted, when he was being drawn by the Lord uh, to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so this is how Peter responds. And so Peter said to them, repent, repent. And obviously, brothers and sisters, uh, when you look, uh, starting with the you know, the forerunner, John the Baptist, and then, you know, the unveiling of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his ministry into the earth, they all began, repent, right? Uh, believe the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance really means kind of like change your mind, change your attitude. Uh, in the military, it would be like an about face. You're you're facing one way, and then they say about face, and boom, you turn around and you, you face another way. Or it's like you're going in one direction, and, and, and in the case of uh, people, you know, born into this world, we're born going in a direction uh, because of our sin that alienates us and distances us from God, our Creator. And so repentance means turn around. Go in a different direction. Change your mind, right? Instead of running away from God, run to him. And he says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, th this gift that you see happening uh, in, you know, in Jerusalem, on this day of Pentecost, where you're looking, going, this, that, there's some strange things happening here, but they're powerful and they're compelling. Yeah, why? Because the Holy Spirit is, is manifesting. He's making known his great power, right? And so if you will humble yourself, if you will repent, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will dwell in you and make alive your mortal body. 
for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, brothers and sisters, that's it for this episode. And as usual, I want to admonish you, keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time. Mm-hmm.